Ray's community, thank you for joining us today on the Ray's podcast for this special COVID-19 edition. No one has been through what we're going through right now, and we don't have all the answers. But we're committed to learning from each other and sharing best practices for remote fundraising, working from home, and navigating this uncertainty. We're asking advancement leaders to share what they're doing and offer a real-time window into how they're pivoting their strategies in today's environment. I hope you find this helpful. Here we go. Chris, it's great to see you as always. Thank you for making time. And this is a part of a series that many of you have, have I think, been fortunate to join. If this is your first session that you're catching, the rest are on our website. Uh, we've had some very good discussions so far. Uh, and this one is one that I've been looking forward to. I've known Chris for a long time. And just getting a window into the role that uh, information technology, information strategy has had to play, we've probably seen more change uh, as it relates to how we're working in the last 10, 20 days as we've seen in the last five or 10 years. And Chris has been on the forefront of that. He has worked as a frontline fundraiser. He's got some athletics uh, background. Uh, He has worked in major gifts. He is now leading information strategy. So one of the few people I've met on my journey here that has gone from the front line to leading information strategy, but that always gives Chris great empathy and perspective for the needs of end users because he was one of those people uh, at one time. And so, uh, Chris, welcome. Really glad to, uh, to have you today. Thanks for having me, Brent. It's always good to talk with you guys. And thanks for thinking of Oklahoma State, too, when you guys are doing these great uh, webinars and sessions. Absolutely. So uh, we are, you know, just in case anybody's catching a recording, it's April 1st, uh, no joke. And we are now uh, sort of adapting to this new reality. I feel like last week was so much just of of kind of getting adjusted. This week is a little bit more getting back to work, at least in a certain regard, depending on where you're at, you might feel differently, but that's kind of how it feels like from my perspective. And I'm curious kind of what's top of mind for you, Chris, how you would describe uh, the last, uh, you know, 10 days, two weeks or so, and how you feel your organization is adapting overall. It, it, very similar to what you're saying. It's, we are lucky in, in quite a few ways. Um, we had made kind of a digital shift over the last couple of years. And so um, we added onto our building about two years ago at the foundation. We added a whole bunch of great collaboration spaces for our staff. We made the decision at that time uh, to give everybody laptops at the organization. About that time, 40 or 50% of our staff had desktops. It's really hard to be collaborative in today's world if you're trying to lug a CPU into a, a conference room. So literally everybody, we have about 160 people at the foundation, all but I think three uh, have laptops. Um, we were able to get those three people laptops from kind of our stock. Um, we're Mike, big- <clears throat> Mike, I don't know if there's a way, but like that's one of those things that I would never even think of is what percentage of our employees have laptops. And, you know, that's one of those things where as a tech company, we've never issued anything other than a laptop to anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am really curious to know what the mix is even among our attendees today, you know, how many people, and and I imagine Chris, you have peers where they hadn't issued everybody laptops. So is that part of the rapid response that's been happening the last couple of weeks across the sector? I think so. I mean, I think you've got 
shops and unfortunately scrambling and it's probably you know i had a conversation because some of us have laptops and i'm lucky i've got kind of the dual monitor set up here at my house i work remotely once or twice a month outside of something like this uh but you know i encouraged some of my staff that were wanting to go and buy monitors for themselves to do it quick because i think you're seeing a lot of shops having to react in that way interesting and in addition to the laptop uh context you would also made some moves to support uh, team collaboration and communication well in advance of this situation. Yeah, we, we are a bit, so we're a Microsoft shop. Most everybody, a lot of people, uh, you know, let's say more traditional uh, that don't use Google, uh, use Microsoft Office. Uh, and about 18 months ago, we started pushing out Microsoft Teams, which is kind of their, you know, version of Slack. Yep. Um, and it was a little tough at the front because, you know, one of the things, you know, you're talking about everybody at Evertrue has laptops, you wouldn't have think otherwise, you know, one of the things I probably struggle with here is we're, we're definitely not a technology company. So we have some um, people that aren't as comfortable with technology, but we pushed Microsoft Teams pretty heavily last 18 months. And I would say in the last year or so, it's been heavily, heavily adopted. And so the function of doing our work, going from <laughs> our, away from our building to remote, um, for the most part has been relatively smooth. We just literally had at one o'clock today, our first ever kind of all hands digital meeting. Uh, we've got a president that's been here 17 years. He's a month or so from retirement. And then his uh, incoming president kind of co-hosted the first ever, or we had 140 people on the call. It went really well. We've never had 140 people at our uh, org wide team meetings when they're on site. So it's been really exciting to see that. Yeah, and I think that's uh, going to be one of the interesting examples where this has been such a forcing function for change. I mean, there's no reason, Chris, that you weren't doing those meetings like that two months ago, right? A thousand percent. And there's no reason we shouldn't keep doing it, right? Um, we have staff across the country. Um, we've got fully remote staff. We've got people in Texas and uh, New York. Um, and so people are kind of craving this interaction anyways. Um, you, we're all probably reading the same blogs right now, but there, I think will be some really exciting outcomes from this when we get through it and, and seeing these things be sticky, right? That we can, ways we can interact with not just ourselves internally, but our constituents and our prospects as well. Yeah, good stuff. Um, so we're just seeing the results of the yeah. poll, but it looks like, you know, there was definitely, uh, it, it, it's interesting to see the group that's more 50, 40, 30% where, where there weren't, uh, many um that's interesting and so uh this you were relatively well equipped people had devices they already had teams i'm sure you've seen an explosion in adoption i'm guessing there were some holdouts that just never really got on board with that new chat thing that all of a sudden you're probably at about 100 percent adoption or 80 percent i mean not asking for exact metrics but um, I'm sure you've seen just a wave of, of growth. I, just before this, I had one of our teammates in um, kind of our help desk area. He took a screenshot. It's one of the admin panels from Office 365, and it's the growth in our users and the growth in activity in Teams and the chat, and it's, it's off the charts. Uh, I should have printed it off before this, but it was you know, up 500 percent, you know, week to week over the last two or three weeks, because we're we're going into our third week here of being fully remote at the at the foundation. So it's um, and, and even some of the folks that we would say are a little uh, late adopters, um, one of our teams in particular, I won't name any names, but 
they had to become early adopters because their leader a year and a half ago uh, moved to another state and was working fully remote. And so it's really spread and we're seeing that growth happen even more frequently. So thanks for sharing. I mean, in addition to the internal uh, enablement, if you will, ensuring that people have the hardware and software that they need and that they're trained and, and obviously things like the current president and the form, you know, and the incoming uh, doing joint conversations can be a real forcing function to get adoption. I'm curious now, it sounds like that was really for internal staff. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that kind of work for external stakeholders yet? Or when you think about virtual engagement activities, um, anything like that? Have you already seen any success or do you anticipate trying to have community conversations in a similar manner? Yeah, I think we're doing that, you know, from a university at large. Uh, our, Burns Hargis is our university president, uh, very charismatic. He, before he was uh, our university president for the last 12 years, he was on the weekly Sunday morning, you know, political talk uh, show Crossfire, you know, on the NBC affiliate. So he's very comfortable behind a camera and talking with people. So we're starting to see that come out. Um, we're, we're definitely pushing um, virtual visits with our development officers. I mean, we want to be very, very respectful of the time we're in right now, particularly for our donors and our constituents. But uh, one of our colleagues say on the call earlier that, you know, like many of our universities and many of the institutions online here, we're, we are like a family. And what do you do in times of that you don't disconnect, you stay connected, right? And so doing it appropriately, uh, doing it in a way that is respectful of the place that people are at uh, is as critical, if not more so now. And so we launched, um, and, and a big part of this was led by Blair Atkinson, our incoming foundation president. She's currently the OSU Alumni Association president, a cowboy.family website. You shared it in a, Absolutely. a post. Um, and that really was a very quick kind of amalgamation of all these things we kind of started working on and talking about. A lot of it was already being led by the OSU Alumni Association and Chase Carter over there, who's just a rock star. Um, but bringing those things all together on one side to, is, can help us stay connected, but also inform the people that are engaged with OSU is, was really important. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop that into the, the group chat here for everyone. And Mike, if possible, I don't know if you could toggle over to that site, but I think it's one of those things that really does warrant um, attention. I said everyone should copy and steal this. I just put it into the chat, but I absolutely love this. Mike, if you can flip to that, it'd be great. Otherwise, um, uh, people can uh, can catch it in the chat. Yeah, we, it's, it's, we've gotten great feedback from that. We'd are, we, so we're a separate 501c3. The foundation is from the OSU Alumni Association, but we have a great partnership. Incidentally, their current president was on our leadership team before she became president of the Alumni Association, and she's now uh, going to be our president starting in about a month or so. So great awareness and collaboration. She partnered immediately, obviously, with her team there, but also uh, we have a, another rock star at the foundation, her name's Amanda Davis. She leads our annual giving uh, team here, and she, Amanda just really understands the role of um, certainly annual giving, but also the partnership with engaging our constituents across the spectrum here. And just it, literally, I actually talked to Blair for probably 20 minutes yesterday, kind of trying to get some background. They had a call, I think, maybe a week and a half ago, really the three of them. And within about, you know, on the call, Chase Carter had pulled together kind of the mock-up of the website uh, through their iModules platform. 
um, and really within a couple of days had really had the thing built out the way it needed to be and just push it out. So it speaks to where we are kind of in a technology front in the world, but Brent, you always talk about our ability to adopt kind of these for-profit tactics in our not-for-profit world, and it's exciting to see that launch and happen as quickly as it did. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's impressive. I think Mike's been having some uh, some internet issues, but he'll jump back in here, and uh, maybe he just did. Looks like everybody is still on. Um, we have had a couple of questions pop in. So I want to make sure that we can get to those as well. Um, this is an interesting question here, Mike, uh, uh, that just came in via Mike. Um, somebody said, "What? okay, what role has your college of business played in messaging the economic challenges for alumni who happen to be small business owners? Any virtual chats with faculty? And it may be, again, premature, but... Uh, would would be curious to get your take on that. Yeah, I um, I am a, a Spear School of Business alum, so I get some of their communication. So I'm starting to see that myself as the constituent. Uh, Ken Eastman is the dean there. He does a fantastic. He's been there, been at OSU for I think probably two decades. Um, he's connecting with our alums to share, you know, video messages of encouragement, and so um, he's pushing that out through kind of their communication channels. If you, if you scroll down there, I think there is a, um, and I saw it earlier, it may be uh, midway, actually to the top, kind of in the middle, just below. It's, uh, you know, write a note. You can write a note to a student. I love it. Limited to just the business school. But, you know, I think, you know, clearly we're here to serve, at least the foundation is here to serve the university and the students. And, um, you know, we all will go through things like now. This is a little bit unprecedented what we're going through right now. But, you know, we had the, you know, great the the financial recession and the 08 and 09 and so we've learned from that is things we can share with our students and the kids that are coming out uh, into the, the working world now is, is is what they're doing and i think this is another example chris where maybe this this crisis was a forcing function to develop this kind of resource hub this cowboy yeah. dot family um but like that we should probably just have this kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, you really like, if I want to engage with this institution, I uh, absolutely can donate, but I can write a note. I can recommend a student. What a good idea, right? Everyone is trying to figure out how do we maintain uh, our, our revenue, whether it's tuition, whether it's student retention, whether it's advancement, and you've got a little bit of everything here without kind of um, it being just, uh, you know, just about a gift, right? I mean, there right. is a holistic opportunity for somebody to engage. Yeah, and, and you know, it really is about staying engaged and connected. And, and I don't want to speak too much for Blair Atkinson, uh, but, you know, she understands that, you know, this really should be a two-way par partnership, right? And particularly with our alums and the people that are engaged with OSU, um, you know, from an alumni association perspective and an alumni engagement perspective, how are we serving them even outside of something like this? And a lot of that's career services and some resources there, but this really speaks to, I think, you know, her vision of, you know, just being a, a hub for this kind of information. I mean, we link to that, I think the CDC here, I mean, there's, it's really just kind of a one-stop shop and it's not all just about OSU and there, I think there's a, and it's kind of down towards the bottom, but there's a piece here where there's an opportunity for people that are interested and willing to make a gift and we're um you know lucky is definitely not the right word but you know we're in tornado alley here and you know more oklahoma you know every three to five years seems to get really 
hit badly by tornadoes. So the last round three or four years ago, we deployed uh, the Cowboy Strong Emergency Fund. And it was really a fund that was unrestricted, people could give to. And at that time, it was really to serve these, you know, students that were, you know, their houses had gotten literally blown away in the tornado that didn't have a place to live. What could we do to help serve them? And so that's a tool we can even use now in this situation, because you've got students, you've got kids that can't pay for, you know, their car payment or their job or their rent. And so um, lots of opportunities here to serve and doing it in a way that's, you know, appropriate and respectful of the kind of situation we're in. And I feel like, um, you know, given that you've dealt with those sorts of moments before, um, obviously this is a different scale, but having to sort of balance the, uh, the engagement with still needing to achieve revenue targets for, for the foundation. And I'm just curious, you know, you don't got to share specifics, but when you think about striking that tone, and we've had some earlier iterations of this live Q&A where people have said, how do you know how to balance having a conversation about a solicitation versus a more general check-in? But at the same time, once we do all those general check-ins, at some point we have to be able to come back and start to predict what kind of revenue shortfall we might be dealing with, with either proposals that are in flight that are gonna be pushed or solicitations we feel would just be inappropriate right now. Um, so I'm curious, obviously, from where you sit, part of what you need to help with is being able to ensure there's analytics and forecasting in place so you can answer those questions. So there's kind of the data aspect, but then there's the anecdotes probably that you might be hearing from some of your frontline colleagues. Yeah, I mean, we're certainly equipped. We're a big Tableau shop. We've talked about it over the years, Brent. Um, we understand that. We track that. But, you know, again, right now, still relatively early on, it's really about just supporting our constituents and our alums and certainly our donors. You know, the reason that this is a such a great uh, line of work or business to work in is it takes really smart, talented people to be our fundraisers. And you have to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations to know where those all are at, right? And it really takes... Uh, a, a savvy touch to really know when to have that conversation, right? I mean, there's people now that we're, we're hearing that want to come in and support the Cowboy Strong Fund that, you know, we wouldn't have necessarily gone out and asked. We've got to make sure there's an opportunity there for them to, um, to do that with, with, again, with being respectful. But we've got an industry full of really savvy fundraising professionals. And, you know, obviously I'm a little biased here, but this is a business where the relationship truly is important. And this is where those understanding the relationship with your individual donors and constituents will be critical to, under, to, to knowing when that time is, right? Because it's going to be different for every, uh, you know, every donor, every prospect. You know, there may be some out there that are heavily invested in Zoom that maybe now is a really great time to go out and ask for a gift. But, um, you know, ultimately it comes down to those individual conversations. And then obviously as a leadership team preparing for what that might look like down the road. So can you talk a little bit about your view of the role that advancement services needs to play. There is some, you know, very tactical work that probably had to adjust to this work from home component. And then there's some more strategic work, some of which we've already touched about. Uh, yeah. touched. But what role do you think advancement uh, services prospect development should be playing in a situation like this? Yeah, you all are familiar with Jacob Astley. Uh, he's a huge fan of Evertrue and has done a lot of, uh, you know, webinars. You know, he's right now his team is just reaching out. He oversees our prospect development team. They're just reaching out to our development officers and asking 
what do they need, right? W what can we help you with? You know, I made a, a joke to Mike Nagel the other day about um, uh, came home from the weekend this Monday and was kind of asking everybody, how was it? What'd you guys do? And, you know, knowing that everybody's pretty much on lockdown right now and everybody's like, well, we spent a ton of time in the yard working on the yard. So my, I think everybody's gonna have great yards this spring and this summer, right? Because there's not a lot else to do. And I think when I think of advancement services, it's a little bit around that theme of, well, we've got an opportunity here. Put all your contact reports in, you know, as your development officer, and I'll get on my soapbox here for a second. There's great opportunities to go through your phone because I did this as a development officer. I had the new cell phone for everybody that I needed to know, but I never shared that back with records management, right? And so there's lots of great, and I know there's somewhat tactical things, but you think a couple months from now, hopefully the, the vision is that, our systems, our contact reports, our databases would be as clean as they, they ever have been because we may have a little bit more time to focus in on that. And now we're serving, uh, you know, from an advancement services, I oversee our IT team. We're certainly serving our internal partners here at the organization, but um, we had a conversation about virtual visits. We just kind of greenlit as a development leadership team. Um, our virtual visits now count as personal visits. Um, and I, I think that's something arguably that we could keep you know, when we're all back to normal yeah. as well. Um, so we've got a great training team in HR that used to be part of our team here in IT. And her name is Bonnie Stout. And she developed just a little one-sheeter for our constituents because our development officers need to be able to give them something to say, here's how you do a Teams meeting. And so we can, there's this little PDF that Bonnie developed and she can send that uh, to the development officers and they can in turn send that to a, a donor uh, so that they feel comfortable getting on and logging on and setting up and doing a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting. So a lot of this is, it's interesting, our our shift historically certainly has been mostly internal, but some of it I think will be external as we're helping some of our partners, even outside the bounds of the foundation, um, get used to this. Well, we uh, did have a webinar yesterday with Julie Craig uh, up at K-State, and she shared that uh, or sorry, on the webinar, we did a survey and more than 50% of people who responded said that they've adopted virtual visits in the last two weeks, similar to yep. what you're describing. And I do think that's another example of something that we probably could have done two months ago. We've now done it. Are we ever going to undo it? Probably not, no. I think. Yeah, and I so think then there'll be a whole other question of, well, what's our strategy? What mix do we want? But we won't be questioning should we do virtual visits or not? Uh, it's just going to be the new way of, of doing work. Um, and I, I guess when you think about, um, well, there was one really quick question. How long did it uh, take to create that website, cowboy.family? Or was uh, it works prior to COVID? Generally speaking, when I get asked any of those questions, I always say it takes way longer. So people will feel sympathetic for right. those operations. But uh, literally, I was talking to Blair. She said, on the call, Chase Carter had kind of mocked up the rough draft, bought the domain name in 15 minutes, I think is what he did first, uh, and then uh, mocked it up. And I think within uh, probably three to five days, it was done. I mean, because really all the content existed, yeah. it just hadn't been organized in, yeah. in that sort of manner. You kind of create the, you had to create kind of a, a message that kind of made it all, bring it, bring it all together. But ultimately those resources were out there. It's, you know, not to oversimplify, but it's just about bringing the hyperlinks together for the most part. Well, let's go back to your, your comment about everybody's going to have great yards this spring because we're all at home. I think we're going to have great yards and probably not great haircuts, is <laughs> my guess. Um, but when you think about 
the the audit, the checklist of yeah. just the basic blocking and and really, if your yard doesn't look great this spring, you don't have much of an excuse. Fair. Yeah. So if your if your data set, if your systems aren't clean, come you know June first, let's call it probably a missed opportunity. And so, I mean, when we think about it, there's kind of that core underlying contact report, you know, bio basic work, but then there's things like career data and how do we get better at monitoring that on an ongoing basis? Obviously we've talked a lot over the years about, uh, you know, now that, that event engagement is sort of off the table. How do we ensure that we've got our digital engagement tracking in place or enhancing it if we can. We're seeing lots of institutions embrace technologies like ThankView to do some video stewardship. We've just, uh, I don't know if we've announced it yet, but we will be announcing a partnership with ThankView to track that video engagement alongside Facebook and some of the other work that we've done. Wondering what you are um, uh, thinking as far as the yard work. Now, I also want to give Robin a shout out who says, so not true about the yards. We at DePaul are just as busy as ever. So I respect that, Robin. <laughs> so, but, but we're just offering some perspectives here, okay? Yeah, I think, um, again, it, it probably is a missed opportunity. There's lots of great ideas that aren't a lot of work that are teams and partners and partners and organizations. Again, in this kind of sense, OSU is, is a little lucky. We're... Uh, we're in the process, we're in the discovery phase of a CRM implementation. And so we, we kicked that off in July. Um, and so really for the last year or so, we've been doing a lot of these things. So, um, you know, I won't say it's business as usual for us, but we were really primed for this and it's really allowed us, um, you know, we, we kind of kicked off discovery in early March before all this happened, which was very fortunate. We had a great on-site meeting with all the partners involved in the project. Um, but we were kind of going down this path, but I mean, you know, there's opportunities here to think about what's your, do you have a plan for a data warehouse? What are you doing with that? I mean, we have access. There's so many different pools and silos of data across campus. Um, what does that look like for your institution? How are you bringing that in? We've been partnering with our athletic department to, to help them with some of the data in their ticketing solution. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, these are things that we were already doing, but you know, this is, you know, I've read a lot of books and there's, there's always one of the things that talks about leaders is really the opportunity. You should have time in your day just to push back from the desk, put your feet up for five, 10, 15 minutes and pontificate, right? And I, I think this is that time for a lot of us. What, what could we be doing differently or better uh, knowing that we're going to get this rapid push into different technologies, um, knowing that um, our constituents are going to expect different things from us. And so um, I think a big part of this is just giving yourself and all of us some space to really sit down and think about some things without having to rush from thing to thing. Now I say that, and it's I've, every time I've had a conversation with someone in the last two or three days, I've made the comment that I seem busy. It seems busier now than when we were in the office and everybody seems to agree, but um, there's opportunities here to pull away a little bit and think differently about some things. Totally. Um, I am curious with the CRM conversation. Now you've been going down a path, but when you made your evaluation and selection, it was kind of in the the old normal, if you will. And yeah. it doesn't mean that you're going to reevaluate. But I guess is it causing you to reprioritize certain themes 
recognizing that we may always be in a little bit more of a remote context. For example, work from home may be more common. Again, it could be too early to even ask that question, but I'm just curious if there are others, you know, if you would have, if you were kicking off a CRM search now, what would you be thinking about that maybe would not have been? I mean, look, we've had some partners reach out and say, hey, we can't have that many people accessing our database via VPN at the same time. Can you grant us more access to Evertrue so we can just get into the system? And that was like shocking that people literally didn't have enough logins or whatever to, to I don't know enough about all the details of every system, but, but if you were now making that evaluation, what would you be uh, considering? Probably a lot of the same. Now I will say if we didn't have Evertrue at the OSU foundation, I would have gotten a dozen of those requests to get access to our system already, but I, I don't, that's not happening because, you know, we've deployed Evertrue across essentially all of our fundraising and development officers, but um, it would, we had an emphasis on mobility and access and, and some of the things going into this because of the system we've on, we've been on it for a while. It was a bit antiquated and we knew that, but I think, you know, it's still a little bit early, but like I was having a conversation with Jacob Assey today about, you know, we wanted to allow development officers to get credit for personal visits by doing virtual visits now, but I didn't want to take the extra time to say, well, let's, I don't want to rework the system right now. We can talk about that. Now we have something to think about when we go into our prospect development sprint, you know, in August or September with a frame set and a mindset of our constituents are, are going to be, we're engaging them differently now. And a lot of that's going to carry through. So are we going to build this system out in a way that is flexible uh, for this scenario or any other scenario, right? It's that kind of conversation of, so the conversation about allowing our development officers to uh, get credit for their personal visits, uh, for those that are done as virtual visits, you know, we made that decision. Then there was a conversation that followed up was, what about phone calls? I had a really good phone call. Can we count that as a personal visit? And it's like, well, that's a little bit more of a stretch, but ultimately, you know, it's not about the medium. It's about engaging with our constituents right. and our prospects in a way that is most comfortable for them. Right. For some people, that's a that's a text message nowadays, right? We don't yet have a button for, we've got an email, uh, you know, activity. We don't have an SMS or, a, a you know, a text message. So it's really put us in this framework going into this of how can we do this, not only with our constituents, but also internally ourselves. And we, we picked a Salesforce back solution we're pretty pretty confident in and feel really good about. And I think this continues to uh, emphasize uh, that, that selection. Great. Yeah, a couple of people had asked. Um, Mindy asked a good question that is a little bit of a can of worms, but we got to put it out there. I'd really like to get department heads to spend time right now sharing the info they know about alumni. Alumni who come and speak in classes, who are engaged with faculty. How do we get them to share this information while they too are stuck at home in their PJs? I don't have any, that is a, that's one of the best ideas in this because a lot of this lives with, you know, these faculty, the, the, the professors have such great relationships with these students and they carry on for decades. They are undoubtedly sitting on a trove of great information out there. Um, I think you just have to ask, right? I mean, probably like a lot of us, um, they may have a little more free time on their hands. Uh, not that everybody's, you know, kicking their feet up and, and, and drinking a Mai Tai, but I think at the end of the day, you just have to ask, right? And, and you know, there's an opportunity here. Um, it's a whole other conversation, but as we get into this world of um, consent, we've seen California and New York start to pass laws around privacy. Um, you know, 
there will be a point here where um, that, you know, uh, shadow database that uh, maybe the faculty member is emailing from uh, right now, it's, it's not ideal, but it's, you know, if you're the, if you're the constituent, you told OSU to take you off the list, it's kind of a nuisance. There will come a point where that may be more than just a nuisance. There may be legal ramifications to that. So encouraging our staff to kind of jump on this bandwagon now. Um, and that's, that's more of the, the stick approach than the carrot. Uh, but I think partnering together in this time so we can make sure we have updated information and we can connect with people. Because ultimately, a lot of this, I think in the near term, the support we're going to get is really going to be directed towards students. So if you could frame this as, you know, here's an opportunity for us to connect with people so they can continue to support and help our students in a time that's unprecedented may be a great way to frame that. Yeah, no, I, th I think um, a related piece to Mindy's question, I mean, it sounds like that's something she's wanted to get at forever, but there's also new types of data being generated. For example, as, as faculty, as deans, as uh, advisory boards, for example, shift to Zoom conversations or Teams or whatever the medium may be. If we start doing virtual events with our uh, alumni and friends and supporters, uh, one of the questions we've been uh, exploring with many of our partners is there's been such a move just to adopt the new technology and, and, and get the medium in place, but then that immediately raises the question of, are we tracking the data? Yeah. You know, right now there are 120 participants on our conversation. We know who everyone is and we're tracking that information and that all becomes a part of the relationship. Um, and I wonder how do we ensure that as we're spinning up all these video calls everywhere that we don't miss the opportunity to understand which alumni are joining and raising their hands and expressing interest. Again, could be too early to, to ask if you've got a handle on that, but um, I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, something that, Virtual reunions, virtual class campaigns, yeah. virtual you name it are, are, are kicking off. How do we ensure that we get the, the data about who's engaging? You know, and that the question is, was Simon Sinek, you know, start with the end in mind, start with why. Um, whenever someone comes to me and says, oh, we need to track this, we need to build this format, it's, absolutely we can do that. What's the why? What are we going to do with it? And how are we going to keep it? And I think that's just, that's a question we have to always, especially now, because there are so many different, you know, data sources out there from, you know, our alumni association has a mobile app and there's great data out there that, you know, that uh, is informative for them. Um, and so it, you just really, it's about asking that question kind of over and over ad nauseum and making sure that you're doing something with it. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, we are going to try to keep this to another, you know, five, 10 minutes, maybe if there are any uh, final, uh, you know, questions, uh, please ask them in the chat or in the Q&A. Chris, I did not want to ask your perspective. I know that um, the foundation has been through other uh, cycles, right? And, and I know that there have been some good experiences over the years of engaging donors at a time when we might be afraid or, or, or less confident in engaging donors and so I know you've got at least one story about T. Boone Pickens. If you wouldn't mind me asking, I think it's worth uh, sharing. We had a, a tremendous president, uh, Jim Halligan, uh, in the, I think, early 90s to early 2000s. He was here for about 10 years. And at that time, uh, you know, in, in Oklahoma and a lot of places, we're, we're very used to these kind of cycles, right? Because we're very dependent on the energy and the oil and, you know, business in particular, which Again, right now, in addition to what's going on uh, with, uh, you know, COVID-19, you know, oil's at $20, $21 a barrel. And 
Um, so, you know, Boone at a couple of different times had lost all of his net worth, right? And was essentially broke. And one of these periods when, when uh, Dr. Halligan went to visit him in the 90s, um, went out to Dallas and maybe out to his ranch in Pampa. And, you know, Boone's first kind of comment was, um, you know, Jim, I, I don't have anything to give you. I don't know why you're, why you're, you're pestering me. And, and Dr. Halligan, a very smart person, said, hey, you know, Boone, I'm not here because of what you, you're going to do. I'm here what you've already done. So, you know, clearly that's a story of stewardship and, and taking the opportunity to thank people for what they've done. Um, we use Thank View here as well. I mean, there are great tools and resources out there just to say thanks. Um, you know, people are right now, I think, looking for stories of grace and appreciation and, um, if there ever was a time for stewardship and, and thanking people for all that they've done, um, I think now is certainly that time. Fair perspective. And yeah, you, you know, with the right tone, it's hard to uh, frustrate or upset anybody. And I think we can, uh, we can do a lot of good. There is a question that came in that said, <coughs> advancement services is often overloaded and all the yard work you're mentioning for frontline DOs will fall back on us since where I work, DOs, don't have much access to do data entry. They, they can't provide the updated cell phone numbers directly, for example. Um, is this a catalyst to change that? I mean, is this the moment? I, I, that's an anonymous attendee. I don't know who asked the question, but is this a moment where you start to relax policies or make adjustments to ensure that, because the punchline here is, I was hoping to have catch up time to go do the yard work, but I don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Now I don't. Yeah. I, and I actually typed, no, I'm kidding. I typed that myself. No. Um, I mean, to me, that's actually a really great example of what we were talking about earlier when I'm thinking about our CRM and our user stories, right? I mean, we're already starting to talk about access, not just to the system, but to make changes in the system. And, you know, every challenge is an opportunity, right? And, um, you know, we have in our, our, we've got great teams here in gift management, records management. Um, they're always, they're generally a little hesitant to open up those doors a little bit. But, you know, when you go through something like this, you know, there's the volume could potentially be there where you don't have the time or the energy to go do what you need to do and you need help, right? Um, you know, very similarly, we've, we've, uh, we're a big Tableau shop here and three or four years ago, one of the first things I had to do in this role was to encourage us in IT to open up the doors a little bit for uh, teams outside of traditional IT to build reports and have access to some of the backend data. Um, and one of the points that we, that I kind of made was there is such a voracious, voracious appetite for reporting and information. We will probably never have the resources to serve that appetite. So you can either get used to working 90 hours a week, or you can, we can frame this and build this out in a way that will be uh, in partnership with some of these end users with, with some framework and some you know, things in mind. And I think this question is very similar to that. If we really want to have this data up to date and as accurate as possible, we're gonna have to open up that and trust a little bit. You, know, you can use this challenge as an opportunity to present some perspective here and, and use that as a tool to push that needle forward a little bit, I think. That's a great question, great comment. Yeah, no, I would say based on our conversations with leadership, even the last two weeks, there, there really, um, there is a moment here that if you feel like uh, things aren't being done as efficiently as possible, or that this, maybe you've wanted for years for the frontline DOs to be able to suggest updates and make changes, but maybe 
you can now frame it through the lens of, hey, I want to share some observations based on two, three weeks of all of us being fully remote. I think there are three or four ideas that could really streamline things. It would require some changes to how we do things. Would it be out of the question to consider this? And I feel like leaders are hungry for that kind of observation and suggestion. And if you frame it the right way, I don't think you're going to get your wrist slapped. Now, obviously, every organization is different, but what's your view on, on that? That's a, you know, I got, we'll have a few minutes here, but that's, a, that's another thing we've been talking about. Necessity is the mother invention, right? Yeah. But I've shared with, I work remotely once or twice a month, but it's one day at a time usually, right? I've never done this two, three. So that first week when I hit day three or four, if I had, in, for us, one of the things that we're a little behind on is our invoice process. It's very manual. Yep. So if on Friday I was working from home, I couldn't get that invoice done, I'd just do it on Monday. Our organization is starting to really see in weeks two and three, these things are like, man, I, I can't sign that contract and scan it, right? Well, take a photo of it, sign it. You know, there's, we're hitting some of these right now, I think in real time, we're hitting some of these things. So back to that comment of all this extra work that might happen, it may not be that we, we do and make those changes now, but now we have a different perspective on things that we could do better, even when we're back in the office, right? And I think beginning to build that list out, here's what we could really do to be more efficient. We, we uh, implemented DocuSign three years ago, two years ago, our legal team did for endowment agreements. So kind of an important, but relatively small part of our business. Prior to that, it was the blue backs. It was, you know, multiple copies going to the Dean and then it took two to three weeks to get that fully uh, executed. Yeah. So how quickly we do it now, less than two days on average. Right. Right? right. And so, you know, there's opportunities. Great here. example. Like if you're not DocuSigning gift agreements, this is your moment to be able to do now, right? So I think anywhere that you feel friction um, and, you know, I think that what, what people don't want right now are complaints, right? We don't have a lot yeah. of time for, well, this problem or this doesn't work or this. Now, if you can frame it with, hey, I'm feeling some friction here. What if we considered this? Or I heard about somebody else that did that. I think this is a moment where you're going to see a lot more willingness to entertain new ideas. Absolutely. So I had a, a, an old uh, boss of mine at the foundation several years ago. She always said, it's okay to bring me problems, but, but at least try and bring me a couple of solutions too. Yes. And, and so this is, it's, it's about um, using this as an opportunity to get better in, in areas. And you think about kind of the, I hate to use the term back office because everybody's the front of the office, but our advancement services team, this is a great opportunity to really um, shed some light on some things and some opportunities here that maybe many of us knew we needed to get better at anyways, but we just didn't quite have, um, you know, the mechanism or the story to tell, to, to say, hey, there's how this will get better, right? Um, one of the things that I hear, I've heard multiple times as I've interacted with people across the organization is, um, and it's, it's not on me, it's on, you know, Jimmy and his IT team and, uh, you know, David Laws and that crew, but Lighting up teams was a really great thing for us 18 months ago, and it has made this process. So, um, you know, think about what happens if this happens two years from now. How can we be even better equipped? And I think there's a great opportunity there. Love it. Well, Chris, I uh, can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day. And for all of the folks who joined, thank you so much. We did flash up Chris's uh, uh, information, easy to find on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. And uh, please let us know if there's other uh, themes you'd like to have us cover in this Q&A session. It's honestly been a great learning experience for us and uh, hopefully valuable for you. But without 
uh, further ado, Chris, unless you've got any closing thoughts, we might uh, sign off here. Just wanted to say thanks, Brent, you and your team. Uh, we've just had such a great partnership with you guys from the start, um, you know, both ways in this process. And without, you know, without a doubt, within a day or two, Maggie was emailing us and Mike and you just checking in on us. And um, it's great to see. That's one thing I love about this industry, this business. There's a lot of uh, great people in altruism and uh, we'll see it. We'll see it happen here. And it, it's happening real time. We're going to see more of that in the next couple of weeks and couple of months. All right, Chris, take care. Thank you so much. My best to the whole uh, team down there. Okay. Good to see you on Musician. All right. See you on Musician. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>